0: Hello, and welcome to Come Towards Delight, the podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gregson. My mission is to find everyday people who are delightful. The people I interview have attractive energy and a positive outlook on life, and I want to give them a platform to share their stories so that others can have hope in the midst of their struggles and see delight in a world that at times can seem gloomy. I will uncover the life experiences of the guests that I interview, which have enabled them to look at life in such an inspiring and delightful way with the belief that to understand the light one has to be acquainted with the dark. My guests will share their personal experiences on finding their way through dark and hopeless times and give us a glimpse into the powerful gifts they received in their darkest hours to rise up, take up hope, and view life through new hope-filled eyes. Is it possible that in our darkest hours we are given a gift to find the light which leads to our greatest delights? Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Come Towards Delight, the podcast. I'm your host, Michael Gregson, and have a special guest with me tonight. I've got Alyssa War with me tonight. And Alyssa and I were complete strangers until about a month and a half ago when we started chatting via email about getting together for a podcast. Thanks to Alyssa's brother-in-law, who is one of my heroes and a great friend from my mission, and just in life in general, Skylar Bell. Alyssa is sisters with Skylar's wife, Carly. And I know Carly pretty well. She's an amazing woman. I don't know how the heck she allowed herself to marry Skylar. Um, still trying to <laughs> <laughs> just play. Skylar's amazing. It's just an incredible family. And 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 when, as I got going with this podcast, Skylar reached out to me and he said, Hey, I got somebody for you. Um, you need to get my sister-in-law on the podcast. She, Alyssa has a incredible story. It's hard. It's difficult. It's it's beautiful, and Alyssa is as strong a spirit as you will ever meet. So I reached out, and you know I was such a rookie. I had no idea what I was doing with this thing. I, you know, I I I had to have my wife, who's younger than me, come in and figure out the technical side of it, and. Is this mic on? I don't know, I have no idea. And um, as I, I kind of got into my groove, I figured out that I could use Zoom and it, it sounded well. And uh, so we reconnected after a, a month or so, and, and here we are. And Alyssa, after reading and getting to know part of your story, um, I'm, very, I'm very grateful that you would take the time to be on the podcast. I know that I have some listeners that will absolutely benefit um, from hearing your faith and your strength and um, just from your perseverance through the the trials that you've been through in your life and the faith that you've held on to. So uh, ladies and gentlemen, i um, excited for you to hear Alyssa share her story with us tonight. So Alyssa, go ahead and take it away.
1: Wow. <laughs> Thank you so much. I feel honored to be here and to be invited on this podcast I guess a little bit about me. I was born and raised in Utah, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So yeah, quite religious. And I played soccer growing up, played soccer in college. And then I went straight from undergrad to uh, PA school, physician assistant in Rhode Island. Uh, yeah. Me,
0: you played, you didn't tell me you played soccer in college. Where'd you play?
1: I played up at Utah State.
0: Oh, you did? Yeah. so Cool. Okay. We're going to offline. We'll talk more about that. I've got a, I've got a girl (laughs) in my neighborhood that used to play for Utah State. I wonder if you guys know each other. So anyway, and, and I know his father was a soccer player as well. So, um, you go beat up on brother-in-law when you guys get together, don't you?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I've lost it all. He's, (laughs) he's still good, but I'm embarrassed to play (laughs) these days. (laughs) So, I went straight to PA school after uh, undergrad. Uh, but right before I moved out there, I started dating this kid, boy, <laughs> man, <laughs> boy. named Nelson. Yeah, Nelson. And he actually was moving to California to start a job at Google. Good. So, yada, yada, yada. We did the long distance thing from coast to coast. Uh, while I was in grad school and we got married right after I finished my master's degree and I moved out to California to join him and we lived there for a few years Um, we're semi-adventurous we lived in a in a van for a year and a half in the Bay Area (laughs) and then that wasn't I mean, it was really fun, but we, you know, wanted something more. So we moved to Singapore uh, about (laughs) two years ago.
0: (laughs) That's that's a little bit more right there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's very hot.
0: Yeah. Tell me, tell me real quick. Where's Nelson from?
1: He kind of grew up bouncing around, uh, like the Midwest, Ohio, Kansas, Texas, et cetera. But he moved to Utah in middle school and this is kind of his home base.
0: Awesome. And then he went to work for Google in California. Where in California were you? Were you in the Bay, right in the Bay area?
1: Yeah, yeah, kind of the South Bay, like Palo Alto, yeah. Mountain View area, where Google headquarters are.
0: Is and you were in a you were in a van down by the ocean, not by the ocean. <laughs> by the ocean. And then you're like, hey, yeah. woke up one morning. You're like, you know, this van's not cutting it for us anymore. But we don't want to buy a way too expensive home in the Bay Area. Right, like Singapore, right. So was exactly. it for Google when you went to Singapore? Yes, yeah. yeah.
1: So he got a job opportunity uh, out there. Um, he was actually working in Indonesia much of the time, but, uh, I guess the hub, the Southeast Asia hub was Singapore and it's probably the one, of <laughs> the most expat friendly place to live, uh, over there. And we loved it. We were having the time of our lives. I stopped working as a physician assistant when we moved there because they don't have them. <laughs> so I was just kind of hanging out, um, I worked in a rock climbing gym for fun. Yeah. And we did a lot of traveling over there. And then...
0: Did you take your van?
1: (laughs) We did not take the van. (laughs) We sold the van. It was, you know, a sad chapter to close. But, you know, we were ready for, you know, a one-bedroom apartment. You know, it felt like a big upgrade. (laughs) Uh, So, let's see, we were in Singapore for only uh, about 10 months when I started to get kind of some weird symptoms. I had just like a really watery eye and I would sneeze a lot and kind of had some like pressure when I touched on my face, on my sinuses, and occasionally I'd get a really bad headache, like right behind my right eye. And these symptoms went on for about two months before I was like, "Okay, this isn't just allergies." Uh, because I was somewhat you know in the medical field, I I couldn't think of what it what it would be. Uh, my only ideas were okay. I have a parasite in my sinuses from you know swimming in Bali or something, oh. <laughs> or it's a tumor, you know. And I, I told my husband that, and he's like, "You're crazy. You don't have a tumor, you know." And I'm like, "Okay, well, I have a lot of free time and great insurance, so I'll go see an, an ENT." Yeah. So I did, and he scoped my nose uh, with a camera, and he saw a a mass. So he biopsied it and we had a (laughs) a trip booked to Vietnam for the next day I said is that okay if I still go he's like yeah sure you know we'll let you know if anything comes back so we went on this trip and probably wasn't very smart but we we were on a motorcycle and we didn't have service for like five days Uh, we just rode around the the northern mountainous region of Vietnam it's beautiful and when we got back to the hotel, I had this email from the clinic that said, uh, can you come back to the clinic and bring your husband? And I was like, oh, that's not a good message. <laughs> so I called, I called the clinic and I said, well, we're in Vietnam, like, we have four more days of our trip, so I'll see you in five days. And she said, okay. And and at that point, then I told my husband, you know, well what the email said and <laughs> he got right back on the phone and to the clinic and said okay we're in vietnam but it's not like we can't hop on a flight right now how serious is this and he said yeah if you could hop on a flight that would be great so we uh he was much more i think scared and anxious than i was i i could keep my cool pretty good <laughs> and I was like, okay, we don't, we don't know anything yet. You know, there's no point in freaking out, but we flew back to Singapore. And the next day <clears throat> the, the ENT said, this is cancerous. We don't know what type it is yet. We'll, you know, send it to the the lab for more testing, but I've set you up for an MRI and a consult with the oncologist this afternoon.
0: Life just kind of stops on, a, on in its tracks right there for you, huh?
1: Yeah, I I guess the part, the big part that I forgot to mention was I was uh, pregnant, I was 17 weeks pregnant uh, at the time. And I hadn't told my family because I was just, I was supposed to meet up with them in Hawaii a few weeks later. So I was going to surprise them at that time. But we knew it was a boy and everything like that. We were really excited.
0: The doctor, like, as he was telling you that it is cancer, was he talking to you about the pregnancy at all? Was he saying anything that kind of scared you about the pregnancy? Were you guys asking questions about that?
1: Um, We didn't really in the beginning. I mean, I told him that I was pregnant and it did, it affected obviously how I was treated the whole time. Um, but I think they would have gotten a PET scan uh, to see if the there was cancer anywhere else or if it had spread, but because I was pregnant, they didn't do that. His advice was basically, "I'm the most experienced ENT physician in Singapore, and the type of cancer that I think it is, I've only seen one in my whole career. So mm-hmm. go back to the states for treatment," <laughs> was his advice. Wow. Um, and I went and saw the oncologist, and he basically said the same thing. He he was. Uh, from the U.S., he did his like training at UCLA, um, but he said, "I've I've seen a lot of cancers, and this is this is rare." Uh, so, yeah, try to go to Stanford, MD Anderson, Mayo Clinic, just somewhere big.
0: What does that mean? Um, rare, like what? What did that end up meaning? If you, don't, I, I hope I'm not asking you to jump too far ahead in the story, but what does that mean? Uh,
1: yeah, <laughs> it means so the cancer um, is called snuck sinonasal undifferentiated carcinoma. And when you Google it, uh, it's, it's terrifying, (laughs) to be honest, it's about one in 20 million people get it. And it was only discovered about 30 years ago, like in the late 80s. And so because of the, you know, recency of the, of this cancer diagnosis, and the rarity, is that a word, <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah. okay. <laughs> of it, uh, there's, there's just not a lot of data and there's not like a set protocol for how it's treated. Uh, it responds very differently, but the things that they do know about it is that it's aggressive, it uh, spreads, metastasizes quickly, it comes back uh, frequently. And it has a, a high mortality rate because of those things. People often catch it too late uh, and it's has spread and, and things like that. And when I figured out the diagnosis and I was telling my family what it was, I said, please don't Google it. <laughs> you know, don't. Yeah, just don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I told my parents um, first, and I said uh, I'll just wait to tell the siblings until we have more information. You know when we're coming back, where we're going to choose to have treatment, etc. But that didn't last very long. Me and my family are really close, and so uh, that evening, you know, or whatever, because of the time difference, I I called them like individually and told them the news, and uh, it was it was kind of hard because I was like. I didn't know how to tell him I'm pregnant, but also I have cancer, (laughs) you know? Um, So I kind of, I did the reverse order. I, I felt weird about telling it that way. And so I said, I, you know, I have cancer, uh, but I'm also 17 weeks pregnant. I don't know what that has, what that means, you know, for me or for the baby going forward. Uh, But we're, you know, doing our best. We're packing up our stuff in Singapore and we're, we're coming home. So within a a week, we, you know, got out of our lease and whatever shipped up all of our furniture and we're, we're, we were gone from Singapore. And
0: how were you feeling at, at that point when, as you, As you meet with your mom and dad, you start calling your siblings, were you, were you afraid? Like, did it, did it start to sink in a little bit for you at that point?
1: Um, it might sound like a weirdo, but not really. I, I think I got a little choked up on one phone call, uh, to my brother, like the first one that I called, um, but I was pretty level headed. And at this point, we, we didn't actually know the diagnosis. It was in between like snuck and this other thing called a, a neuroblastoma. And so uh, I kind of, yeah, I just because I didn't know everything. I, I still kind of had the like, OK, we don't know. So let's just, you know, carry on. <laughs> It's okay.
0: Still, are you feeling health wise? Are you still kind of feeling the headaches? Is that is that really all that it it is? It's still about the same symptoms as you were dealing with initially? Yeah,
1: similar symptoms. Um, I did start to, it was kind of funny because I I feel like when I got pregnant, I had like a heightened sense of smell. I think some people have that. But then it it went down and I almost, I started to lose my sense of smell. So (laughs) I didn't know if that was like pregnancy and I, yeah, felt a little nauseous. I was like, is this cancer? Is this pregnancy? I'm tired. You know, which one is it? But pretty similar symptoms, just kind of like pressure on the face and headache and this weird, watery eye.
0: <laughs> Maybe you've got the COVID virus before anyone. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> that's a great point. Everyone, every time I get asked the screening questions, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I don't have COVID, you know, <laughs> but I do have a headache and no sense of smell. Symptoms. Yeah. Exactly. And I'm tired all the time. So, <laughs> okay,
0: so, you, so you guys come back and, and you come to Utah. Is that right?
1: we flew to san francisco there's a direct flight uh, from there and um we we did a lot of research in that week of where are the best places for for brain tumors for neurology for neurosurgery um etc and both stanford and ucsf had great programs. So we figured because that was kind of our home before moving to Singapore, we would just go back there and we had scheduled appointments with both in facilities and we would then like decide which one we felt better about going with. Um, So we flew there and my parents and my two younger sisters drove from Utah to meet us there. And uh, we had, you know, three or four days of so many appointments. <laughs> uh we met with like the neurosurgeon, the ENT oncologist. We met with fertility doctors and obviously OBGYNs uh, that were you know on the high risk side. And uh we finally at that point like nailed down the diagnosis. This is snuck. And um, mm. and but they they were like, yeah, this is rare. You know, we only treat probably two or three of these like a year and we've never treated anyone that's pregnant <laughs> with this diagnosis. One doctor uh, strongly advised us uh, to terminate the pregnancy and said, this cancer is not to be messed around with. If You know, it it was a very intense appointment. He looked my dad straight in the eye and said, if this were my daughter, I would Mm. terminate the pregnancy today and start chemo tomorrow. Mm. So we just were at that point, I was very heavy. (laughs) That's kind of what it was like. Wow. Okay, this is a big deal. This is scary. And uh, we have some tough decisions to make, you know.
0: Uh, How you pictured in your life growing up and becoming a mom and things going with your first baby. That's, uh, yeah. Wow.
1: (laughs) Yeah. There was a lot of, a lot of prayers and asking for guidance on what to do. Um, I've had, uh, a family member, My uncle was really scared because his his first wife got diagnosed with cancer um, when she was pregnant and she refused treatment uh, to be able to carry out her pregnancy. And she did um, have the baby, but then she passed away uh, because the cancer had progressed. So I felt like I was in that boat. I knew that. I <laughs> you know I, I didn't I didn't know like I felt like I couldn't I don't I didn't think I could even make it to the end of my pregnancy without treatment myself you know um but as we kept meeting with doctors and gathering bits and pieces of information here and there it said you know people do do chemo while pregnant it's obviously not ideal <laughs> but the fact that you're in your second trimester is great you know a lot of the uh organ development is done and the baby's just growing. Yeah. Um so, you know, the the risks are some of them unknown, but the ones that we do know of are, you know, small birth weight, uh born prematurely, uh, issues with their hearing, things like that. Um so, you know, I was 18 weeks pregnant at that time and in California, I think you could choose to have an abortion up until maybe 23 or 24 weeks. So kind of the decision that we made was we'll keep the pregnancy and treat me as if, treat me as if I weren't pregnant, you know, um, I don't want to kind of compromise, uh, my health, uh, because I don't think this baby will make it if, uh, if I don't. (laughs) And it kind of sounds selfish. You know, I wish I was more of that lady who was, you know, willing to sacrifice her life, but
0: I. I've talked, I've talked to my wife about the same thing. We, we've heard stories of, of, you know, people doing this and and getting to the point where it's like, Hey, you know, we we can go forward and, and if we, you know, if we treat you, baby may die. Um, If we, if we, uh, you you, there's no guarantee you're gonna live, and and here's the thing, and and I'd, I'd love to know what your husband said because to me, I said to Alicia, I'm like, look, you're you're alive, and and I would not I would not do that to you, and and you know you can't judge anybody that's in those places, it's that's that's too heavy for us to have to make judgment upon, right? That's unfair to even say like what's right and what's wrong. And that, yeah. and I, I would, I would honestly say like, you know, as long as you guys were doing the best to talk to each other and and you stayed connected, you guys would, you guys do what's right for you and you're going to know in your heart, what's the right thing to do. I'm, I'm curious though. What, what was your husband saying to you?
1: Yeah, he, he said very similar things. Uh, you know, I think our religion has a stance on abortion, but we didn't feel at all like either decision that we made was a, a bad or a wrong decision yeah. uh, so it was yeah all with a lot of yeah. prayer and fasting and uh, I was very grateful for that support from my husband and from my parents uh no one tried to you know guilt us into one way or the other um, and my husband, uh, but yeah, he was kind of more on the the side of like, if there's no you, <laughs> there's no babies, right. you know, right. and whether that, and even this one and babies to come. Uh, so, you know, we, we thought about it and we said, okay, well, let's just proceed with treatment. We don't have to terminate, we don't have to make that decision for, you know, Five more weeks. (laughs) So let's start treatment and see how
0: it goes. And monitor the baby's health, right? That's exactly. Makes complete sense. So good. So now you, you, in your starting treatment, you stay in California while you're going through it, right?
1: Yeah. So as we were deciding between UCSF and Stanford, I was at an appointment um, at Stanford with the OB for the first time meeting her. And I, don't remember much of it because I had a seizure in the in the exam room Mm. and um, you know my husband says that it was like the most terrifying thing he's ever seen probably shouldn't laugh but you have that you know dark medical side of you that you had kind
0: of funny (laughs) in the movies right where you're like holy cow I don't ever want to have one of those like that kind of yes yeah
1: yeah I was sitting on the chair and he said that I started, you know, kind of becoming agitated and saying kind of gibberish stuff. And I was like getting really upset about something that was on a magazine, you know, just not like myself at all.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and so he came over and started like hugging me and was like, it's okay, what's wrong? And and then I just started, you know, the full-blown tonic-clonic, they call it seizure and so he ran outside and called for help. And basically, you know, the ambulance came. I was on Stanford ca- Stanford's campus already. So it was a short but expensive ride if anyone has <laughs> taken an ambulance. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that kind of made our decision for us. I was admitted. Um, I went through the emergency room. Obviously, I was in the ICU for a few days, and then they admitted me to the oncology unit. And at that point, I wasn't gonna say, "All right, let's drive up to UCSF and transfer care," <laughs> um, which was ended up being a great decision. I felt so well taken care of at Stanford, and they they talked about my case at tumor board every week. And the doctors were really good at communicating with each other, and. Uh, the, the Airbnb that we found, um, the Bishop of our ward was the CEO of Stanford healthcare. (laughs) Yeah. So he, you know, stopped by my exam room, like, you know, my patient room for two or three times. And I just, I thought, you know, maybe, maybe I was supposed to be at Stanford. You know, I, that's why I had a seizure there (laughs) and, so anyways, we had a great experience at Stanford. When the time came at 24 weeks, um, we had gone through one cycle of chemo, I think, and then did, they did an ultrasound, and they said the baby's doing great, he's growing, he et cetera. So he said, "All right, well, if he can survive one round, <laughs> let's, mm-hmm. you know, give him a chance." That's kind of how it went at Stanford. We did uh, two more rounds of chemo. Uh, and they just monitored the baby in between each one. And I was really lucky the tumor responded very well to the chemo. I think it was about the size of a a line or so, and it started in my sinuses but it had spread up into the brain and was causing a lot of swelling hence the seizure. um. But even after the first round of chemo, it shrunk to like a marble, which was incredible. Because of that, it left this gaping hole, you know, that's in between the sinuses and the brain. So I started leaking brain fluid out of my nose. So that was kind of another wrench in in the treatment plan. Like, okay, do we kind of halt the chemo thing and do brain surgery to fix this leak? But then we're just going to have to do radiation and probably damage the repair that we just did and how do we do a 10-hour operation with this lady that's 24 weeks pregnant so that was another stressful thing (laughs) that we kind of didn't know what to do and and it was very interesting interacting with these world-class doctors who would ask me and my husband well what do you think
0: we should do (laughs) I'm like what (laughs) what do you mean (laughs) I don't know they need your buy-in right I mean it's it, they present you with all the facts and the, all the, the all the information the the to dos right they have they have scripted procedures and, and with a with a case of cancer like yours you don't have that right there, there's a lot of unknown mm-hmm. so they're they're getting together I'm sure you know counseling with each other talking it through presenting facts and 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 at, probably asking those same questions themselves and then saying, well, we've got to present it to the family, and let's let's see what they say, because because ultimately they need your buy in. It's your choice, right? It's, mm-hmm. your, it's your choice. And man, with something, yeah. wrong. tell me how you're feeling at this point. At
1: this point, emotionally, I was doing okay. <laughs> Physically, I it was rough yeah. uh, that first round of chemo. Uh, you just you feel like crap. I even was able to eat pretty good yeah. and I lost 11 pounds of like from one round and I was pregnant so that was also really scary. Mm-hmm. Um I was yeah, most of my fears were about the baby yeah. <laughs> of throughout the the process. Um but yeah, physically it's really hard to eat. Uh you get like mouth sores and everything even it hurts when you eat but it also like tastes like metal one of the chemo agents is platinum based so everything just tastes metallic mm. and so we met with uh, you know nutritionists who obviously gave the best advice that they could you know eat peanut butter and avocados and these high calorie things and it wasn't cutting it so I had to buy these like you know, these boost very high calorie drinks, and they call them scandy shakes that <laughs> I just had to throw down, you know, four 700 calorie scandy shakes a day. And it, honestly, once I wasn't once I delivered the baby, this is a little later in the story, but I was I was relieved. I was like, okay, I can just not eat. I don't care. <laughs> my body <laughs> goes to crap now, you know, but during those first uh, couple rounds of chemo, when I was pregnant, the my little boy gave me a lot of motivation to do what I could for my body, and even if it was not pleasant. It sounds weird, you know, trying to just eat food, <laughs> but, um, yeah. but yeah, to just even yeah, I got a lot of emotional and physical like strength from this unborn child.
0: Tell me about your husband right now. What's like he is he still working for Google? Is he still able to is he able to work remotely?
1: Google was amazing throughout this whole process. When I got my diagnosis in Singapore, he let his employer know or his manager right away and they said okay, don't log on to your computer. You're fine. We'll take care of it. We'll transfer your role back to the state so that you have insurance there. And they didn't skip a beat. And he ended up being able to take like six months off of work between uh, like family medical leave of absence through the state. And then they, Google has carers leave and then paternity leave. They give like 12 weeks. So he it it was amazing um i like have a special place in my heart for google (laughs) too
0: (laughs) yeah that's phenomenal that that makes me those kind of things are what what separate you know like just great people and great companies and obviously it's people that run the company and Mm -hmm. that's what it's all about that's that's important you know filling a role or whatever so anyway okay is his family around you at this time? Is your family kind of coming out and visiting you from Utah? What, what's going on there?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. His family is kind of spread out. Um, no one of his immediate family actually lives in Utah. Uh, his mom is in San Diego. His dad had passed away. And then he has three siblings in New Mexico, Alaska, Coeur d'Alene. Okay. Uh, so they're kind of doing their own thing. They're all checking in. Uh, you know, via whatever technology, um, that my family, my family was very hands-on. Like I said, my mom and my dad had, and my sisters had driven out there when I was there. And then they actually, um, went on that Hawaii trip, uh, which was scheduled and they landed in Hawaii. And then 30 minutes later, Nelson called when I had that seizure and was, terrified and said I don't know what to do so another huge blessing there was a flight from Hawaii to San Francisco an hour and a half later so my parents skipped out on the trip my siblings some of my siblings stayed which I'm grateful for I mean there's not much they can do (laughs) but my parents flew back and you know my mom my mom stayed with me in the hospital for like two weeks I was pretty sick that first round of chemo uh, after the seizure. So I was inpatient, but then the subsequent rounds uh, I was discharged and it's kind of like an outpatient infusion center type thing. But my, yeah, my mom, uh, that was a huge help to my husband too. He, uh, I I feel so bad for the primary caregivers. It's I think probably a harder role than being the patient, honestly. And Um so it was really great to have my family be so hands on just so he could you know take a break and get some sleep and things like that. Um and then the next like 5 weekends in a row I I have 5 siblings and they came out <laughs> one after another and just rotated probably at that point my husband was like okay okay I'll be <laughs> I'll yeah, do it no,
0: myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For a while.
1: yeah, way too many courtesies. Yeah. I'm done with my Curtis time. <laughs> Go back
0: to Singapore. <laughs> you know what though I, I I would imagine for you and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but the the weight that that takes off your you your mind mentally, uh, just to know that like you've got support there and your husband also has support too, right? Like it's not just all on yeah. to kind of be there at all times. And I'm sure he was, but like mm-hmm. that, for you, that caused, I'm sure a lot of, a lot more peace than what could have been if, if they weren't there. Oh
1: yeah, definitely. Yeah. I remember this, uh, uh, this feeling of just, you know, standing, and having armies, my family specifically, just like holding me up. That's what it felt like. I was just, I could could have easily toppled over and been blown by the wind. And but everyone was just holding me, and that's that's what I felt like. And I felt so so blessed and so much support, almost to the point where I felt guilty. I was like, I'm doing okay, you know. Go help people who who need it more yeah. than I do.
0: Go to the next <laughs> week over i yeah it, I'm good for that, but, you know, that's, yeah I love these stories so much because yours and th- there's many stories that have been on this podcast where the one one of the main principles that comes out is you show up right you just you sh- when someone's in need and you love that person you show up doesn't matter what it takes yeah. doesn't matter what it costs you show up for them. And, and it, yeah. it just strengthens all of us when we do that. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, keep going.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, so many just like blessings throughout this story. I was able, I was in California, but I was able to come home uh, for Thanksgiving it's because it was timed right in between the three week cycle of yeah. chemo. So I came home and it was like the first Thanksgiving um, that our whole family was together in in years. And it was a really special time. And, you know, on Thanksgiving, we all were pretty emotional saying what we were grateful for. And um, I think it was Carly (laughs) was kind of joking around. But she said, Alyssa, thanks for taking one for the team and getting so sick because our family has grown so close in the last two months, you know, <laughs> and not that we weren't close, but we were kind of spread out, Idaho, Louisiana, Singapore, et cetera. Um, and we would keep in touch, but that's kind of it. Uh, but since then, in the last year, I, and probably with COVID as well, <laughs> contributing, but I just feel so close to my family and my siblings. And so that that's been a huge blessing. And then the same thing happened for Christmas. It was in between a chemo cycle. So I was able to go home and just kind of relax and see some friends. And in between, in between the cycles, (laughs) uh, just, you know, have, have some downtime, I guess, if you can call it that. Um,
0: And that was the end of last year. That was, we're talking 2020, right? Yeah. COVID 2020. So you're very much. Uh,
1: no, sorry, that was nineteen. 2019. So twenty
0: nineteen. So as co- I was gonna say, because if COVID was, if we were in the thick of it, I was gonna say, well, how did you do that with quarantining, right? But because you're you're your high risk, so to, mm-hmm. so twenty nineteen timing wise, like you were able to really just get those connections. Yeah. All there, all of a sudden. Yes. Here comes twenty twenty, and you know. I know. Yeah, oh, anyway, so <laughs> Should we just skip over that here? Yeah. <laughs> So now at that, at that yeah. point, how at Christmas time, how far along were you in your pregnancy?
1: Um, Christmas time, I was around 28 weeks, 27 okay. weeks, maybe. So I did three rounds of chemo that were each three weeks long. Um, kind of a funny side note about the chemo that I got too was uh, there was three different chemo agents and one of them was so toxic that it has to be infused uh, at a rate that goes for five days because if it's not, if it goes any quicker, who knows what will happen to you. I just had to carry around this little fanny pack of chemo (laughs) and I had a a pick line, you know, going into my arm and I'd sleep with it, I'd walk with it, I'd have to awkwardly shower with it and um, Mm. that was the agent, uh, it's called... It's fluorouracil, but the nickname is (laughs) (laughs) 5-F-U because it's so terrible.
0: (laughs) 5-F-U, good stuff.
1: So let's see here. At that point, yeah, I was around, you know, 26. Six, 27 weeks pregnant and it was time they said okay you responded great to the chemo three rounds is all you need it's now time to start radiation there was varying opinions on whether or not I should be radiated while pregnant you know they're like it's only going to be to the head and the neck like it's pretty the abdomen you know is pretty far away and will shield you during radiation." Um, and you know, what's better to get your baby for like a full term, but to have the exposure of radiation or to deliver prematurely. So that was another kind of decision that we had to make. Um, in the meantime, there was the decision of what type of radiation. There's a newer newer meaning within the last 15 years or so um, called proton, proton therapy or proton beam radiation. Stanford did not have it, neither did UCSF. Um, but we met with the radiologist at Stanford and she said, I would do the, I would do the proton therapy if it were me, if it were my kid, you know? Yeah. So we said, okay, if the head of radiology at Stanford is telling us this, let's take her advice. And so at that point we transferred to MD Anderson in Houston, okay. uh, which is the largest cancer center in the world probably
0: um that kind of radiation is it more pinpointed is that kind of what it is
1: exactly yeah yeah it's uh, much more precise from what i gathered from the doctors both the proton uh, radiation and regular uh, radiation treat the tumor the same like they have the same efficacy uh, as treating the tumors but just the side effects or you know Uh, are much greater with the traditional radiation because you're just getting a blast to your whole head that's awesome yeah so we transferred down to uh, we moved down to Houston and there was uh, the doctors were great a lot of them knew each other uh, between Stanford and MD Anderson so they called you know and told them my case and said she's coming and when I showed up, they said, "Alyssa, we've been waiting for you. We've heard about you, you know." And at this point, I felt lucky to be kind of a, a unicorn uh, because I felt like my case and my story got a lot of attention, and uh, it, yeah, a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you, you know, kind of just the same mold, a typical cancer, I don't, I don't think would get as much. Good old snuff. <laughs> yeah, my. School uh, colleagues or student cohort, they had made these shirts that said cancer snucks, and then on the back it said, But but it picked the wrong war, W A R R.
0: Last name. So I, I want to get one of those shirts. Can I do that? They still make them.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I'll look into it. Maybe you can, you know, steal Skylar's or something
0: <laughs> going on here. It's raise some money for you and your family and start selling the. <laughs>
1: Cancer nuts. Yeah, cancer nuts.
0: <laughs> okay, here we go. We're in Houston now.
1: So we are in Houston, and we meet with all, the whole new team: the radiation oncologist, the medical oncologist, the ENT surgeon, the neurosurgeon, the OBGYN, gyn etc. And they're like, "Okay, we can. We don't really want to delay the start of radiation for you to." get more weeks gestation for your baby because the cancer isn't gone yet. It responded well to the chemo, but it's still there. And it's just going to grow back if you wait. So they usually recommend about a month in between the end of chemo and the start of radiation. Oh, and the the radiation uh, oncologist down there, he was very adamant, like, I will not radiate you while pregnant. Uh, (laughs) So that made that decision, I guess, easy. We're like, okay, we're going to have a preemie. Um, but the OB, she's when we're talking to her, we said like, what does that really mean? You know, what does being born at 27 weeks look like 28, 29, you know? And she said, if there's any way to make it to 30 weeks, just the chances of them thriving and surviving and doing well with no long-term effects goes Another blessing that we felt very like inspired is to suggest to these doctors <laughs> who were again, these world-class physicians to do a fourth round of chemo.
0: Okay. And
1: yeah. it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't for me or for the tumor, but it was for the baby, <laughs> yeah. which sounds crazy. Uh, but uh, to do, to basically get him from 28 weeks to 31 weeks was a big deal Mm -hmm. um so we asked we asked the doctors he said what did you what do you think about this plan (laughs) doing a round of chemo to just kind of keep the tumor at bay I know it doesn't need to like shrink anymore and I'm ready to start radiation but you know if we can do this for the baby and they kind of said well I thought you didn't want to change your treatment, you know, because of the baby. And I said, I know, but if it's, if it's really not going to change anything on my end, you know, but it's going to make a big difference Mm. for the baby, like, can we do it? And they said, sure. (laughs) And so we did the fourth round of chemo. Then I had a scheduled C-section at 31 weeks and baby Benny was born He was three pounds, eight ounces, and he spent, you know, eight weeks in the NICU, but nothing really was wrong. He was just small and he needed to learn how to like breathe and eat on his own, which took some time, but it was great. We had, you know, world-class babysitters (laughs) 24-7 for eight weeks while I was doing radiation. Um... So, radiation started, I think eight days after my c-section. And uh, it was five days a week for seven weeks. and I had they they do chemo as well. It's been like a smaller dose or intensity, but I did chemo once a week and radiation uh, five days a week. Yeah. And I don't know what I was expecting. I thought that chemo was going to be the worst part of it, but radiation kicked my butt. (laughs)
0: I'm going to pause you for two seconds. I want to know, you guys went through a lot to get Benny here. Mm -hmm. Benny, kind of cool. You and I talked about this prior, but Benny's name is Benyon after your husband's dad who Mm -hmm. passed away. So a lot of meaning there, which is phenomenal. I love that. yeah, you guys went through a lot to get Benny here. How did it feel yeah. with him for the first time?
1: Uh, it was kind of weird. Um, <laughs> it felt like I, I like I didn't feel um, pregnant, really. you know, for the the thirty one weeks, I just feel like we had so many other things kind of going on. I obviously knew I was pregnant. and uh, he would keep me company during my MRI scans, you know, kicking my yeah. belly and stuff. <laughs> so we had a little connection, but it it just felt like kind of the back burner was the fact that I was pregnant, which was so weird. So the day of the C section, um, it kind of just felt like I was watching a Grey's Anatomy episode. <laughs> I didn't really feel like a part of it, um, which was kind of sad, you know. You see all these pictures and birth videos of them crying and just being overcome with joy and I they when they took him out and they stabilized him they brought him over all swaddled and put him on my chest and he said "Kay, hey, do you want to like give him a kiss on the face and it's like no, I don't want to get him sick. You <laughs> know, I like this guy has
0: been through a lot. I've been through a lot. I don't want any, you know, risky things going on. <laughs> you we're so focused on survival for both you and him. That that's that's yeah. amazing to me. That you were so focused on survival that, like, even after his birth, it's like we just got the motherly instinct is survival, right? It's it's you yeah, protect your young, you protect. You, you keep everyone alive, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Fact, you're very much in that mode. You're that mama bear that's like, hey, my son's gonna live <laughs> yeah. and so we gotta do whatever we gotta do to make sure. I, it's not cuddle time right now, it's protection time. We're gonna take care of him, <laughs> yeah. right? So exactly think, yeah that's an interesting thing that's pretty cool so anyway
1: yeah yeah it was an interesting day i mean i could after that they wheeled me to my postpartum room and he was in the nicu and i could not wait to go down there and hold him sure. um And so I did that evening and, you know, they were all making nice comments like, oh my gosh, you're walking already? You had a C-section 10 hours ago. And I'm like, this is nothing, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like, so I went down to the NICU and we did like skin to skin and it, it still, I still didn't have that moment of, oh my goodness, this is, this is my baby, you know, which was just, but it came, it came more gradually, which is okay. And I I think the, a few days later, my mom was there and she did skin to skin and she started crying and then I started crying (laughs) and that's kind of when it all.
0: (laughs) One day, one day, your son, one day, your son's going to hear this and he's going to go, man, my mom did everything she could to give me life.
1: (laughs) I, yeah, I hope so. I had a really good friend in Singapore who gave me the idea to do um, little videos yeah. of like throughout this process for Benny. And I did. And I kind of felt weird doing it like, hi, Benny, this is your mom, <laughs> you know, yeah. but I kind of compiled it together. And I now I have like a, you know, it's like this 25 minute video of me just kind of sharing my experience and my thoughts and whatever. And yeah I'm really excited for him to like watch it and understand the whole thing might not be until he's you know 18 or something that he fully grasps
0: (laughs) what was going on but he'll go my mom fought for me she gave me everything and he'll go I want to do I want to do the same for my mom so it's it's (laughs) awesome those things are powerful effects later on in our life so anyway okay so Benny's here and you, you're yeah, you're still going through all this stuff. And we, we haven't even had brain surgery yet, have we? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay. So, yeah, seven weeks of radiation. Um, it wiped me out. When they say, like, you're tired, you are tired. Oh, my gosh.
0: Tired doesn't even describe what you're feeling.
1: Yeah. I just, like, you know, the thought of, like, going on a walk was felt like a marathon and um radiation just like dries everything out so I had really dry eyes my skin looked like fried sunburnt, uh, dry mouth was probably the worst part and um, they had to radiate like my salivary glands and um so I don't know just not fun another uh so like interesting thing about this proton thing because it's so precise they make this pillow and this mesh mask that turns into a hard plastic so that you are in the same position every time and you are <laughs> strapped to this metal i don't know why they don't make it more comfortable but this like metal board with this like oh. plastic thing over your face awful awesome. i wish i could show you a picture but i would come off with like it looks like a you know, something like a thing had been imprinted on my head. But so radiation, not fun. And at this point, I'm still leaking the brain fluid, right? (laughs) I've been leaking now for, you know, six months. And they kind of after the first month, they're like, all right, well, you know, this like what to watch out for in terms of meningitis, which is the main risk of leaking brain fluid. So if you start to have those symptoms, you know, severe headache, uh, like nausea, fever, chills, just go to the ER immediately. And um, so I was always on the lookout for those symptoms, uh, which was, again, kind of hard to tell because I was tired and felt crappy and had a headache all the time.
0: What <laughs> the symptoms, I, know I can't feel anything anymore. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh.
1: Yeah. Another, I tried to be a, a hero, a heroic mom, and, uh, breastfeed but because I was doing chemo I just had to pump and dump they call it for a certain amount of time before I could actually use the breast milk but I was like okay this is something that I can do for my baby so I was pumping um for a few weeks and uh I couldn't I couldn't keep up with the calories that I was burning basically um, in terms of eating and so I got mastitis (laughs) And I had to go to the ER. um, And then at that point, my husband's like, okay, just don't pump. You're going to have to be doing this for like three months before you can use it. Like, it's not worth it. Mm. So I I stopped that. But that was also another time where I felt very, very sick. And you just have no immune system to fight anything.
0: Oh, Alyssa, holy cow. (laughs) Holy cow. So so stories about birth moms coming in, like, first time. First time pregnant women come in to have their births and they'll bring in a list of like, this is how I want my birth for my (laughs) child. Yeah. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And holy crap. Everything surrounding what you had to go through. Amazing.
1: And I was, I wasn't the the type to, you know, write out a birth plan, but I was very interested in natural childbirth. I was in Asia. So I, I learned the Asian squat, you know, oh, <laughs> and yes. and I, I would practice every day and hold a, a, an Asian squat for as long as I could, because that's like the method that I wanted to try. <laughs> and I, I would never do it at home. I think I, I, it's too scary. I think a lot of things can go wrong that are out of your control. Sure. But I I wanted to try it naturally, like in a, in a hospital environment or a birthing center. And my family always jokes like, you have the farthest thing from a natural child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, you know, it's it's okay. It's, you know, you, you learn things that are like, okay, it doesn't matter. <laughs>
0: You learn things that are important for you to learn. I, my wife and I went through a really tragic accident about 2009. And my, one of my wife's favorite quotes after, the, after we went through recovery, she, she would say, if you ever want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans. Because, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because the things
1: exactly.
0: we are a lot of the time not what we need. And we end up looking back and going, I get it. Thank you for taking me down this road but it's, it's yeah. hard. And, you know, I look what you go, through, I'm looking at what you go, what you've been going through and we're not done yet. It's like, man, Alyssa, I, uh, you're incredible that you're, you're the way you persevere and you just keep going and, and um, uh, pretty amazing. So it, let's, let's get to the point where you, now you actually do get meningitis, correct? <laughs> yeah. I mean, hey,
1: Yeah. But- I, it, the timing of it was quite comical because, okay. Uh, you know, I get this, this break I'm done with radiation I'm kind of recouping I do a scan three months later that says yay you're cancer free and then but let's fix this leak now you know so I go back down to Houston COVID has now hit uh so I can't have any visitors or anyone take me to the hospital and I get the surgery and I'm in the hospital for a few days and they discharge me and it was then that I got meningitis <laughs> after they tried to fix the leak. That was, you know.
0: <laughs> the whole time you got this leak, you don't get it. They fix it, you get it. Oh, my God.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I, you know, I went back to the hospital. And I was still leaking, too, which was kind of a bummer. So it it was less, but it did the, the repair didn't fix it all the way. So I went back to the doctor and uh they admitted me and uh they had to put a drain in my in my back uh and I had to just be flat um and basically what it does is it drains your brain fluid from your spine Uh so that there's not the pressure of the fluid where they did the repair and so it can kind of heal itself without this pressure on it um So they did the drain and then they put me on IV antibiotics to treat the meningitis. And, um, I keep saying like, Oh, this was the worst part. This was the worst part, (laughs) but that this really was the worst, the worst part. I felt, I I thought I was going to die a few days and I was by myself because of COVID. They were very strict about the, uh, visitor policy and I just talked to my husband on the phone and say like I I don't know if I'm gonna make it. I feel terrible and I, I love you. And you're in Utah and I'm in Texas and you know it was it was scary times. I think one of the things that really helped me through this whole thing was just the feeling of peace, uh, which I know comes from God. I didn't know what would happen. ever I didn't know what the outcome was going to be for me for my baby Uh, but I just felt at peace that like whatever did happen was God's plan and that everything would be okay whatever that meant you know I didn't know but that it was going to be okay my husband would be okay without me or you know so my family at that point uh, I think uh, my mom was on the phone with the charge nurse, and my sister was on the phone with the, you know, patient care advocate, and another one was with the, you know, they're all just crying and saying we, you have to let us, one of us in, you know, like she isn't eating, she can't open her eyes, you know. So they were persistent enough that my mom did get a visitor exception and so she flew down from utah and uh came into my hospital room and love it yes i know (laughs) and i think she saved my life (laughs) i was like i couldn't i couldn't eat i don't know it's hard to describe how like you know, sick you feel, but she just, yeah, she mama bared me and she ordered food every two hours and she like spoon fed me and she was just a a saint, an angel. And, uh, I started trending up, you know, the next, the day after she got there and, um, yeah, yeah, she was, she was awesome uh so anyways the the leak did fix itself. the meningitis uh, resolved with uh, antibiotics for like 10 days um And then I went home <laughs> finally. <laughs> so um moved back to Utah and uh, we ended up buying a house uh, a few months later and, I went back down to Houston in September. So this is, you know, September of 2020 uh, for my like six month follow-up and they did a scan of my brain and a full body scan. They said, okay, cancer's still gone, but you have quite a bit of swelling in your brain, which is typical from the radiation. You know, we quite literally fried your brain. <laughs> yeah. And they said, Are you feeling any symptoms? Uh, from it and I'm like I don't know what would the symptoms be and they said can't sleep headache like irritability you know I'm like I've been feeling those things for a year <laughs> like, God. yeah and so I'm like it's hard for me to tell whether it's because of the tumor because of the chemo because of the pregnancy because of the you know the radiation the treatment so anyways um they all thought that was quite comical. They were like, <laughs> "They were like, are you feeling any of these symptoms?" I'm like, "Well, yes, but it's nothing new." <laughs> so they put me on steroids for uh, ten weeks, and it didn't do anything for the swelling. Unfortunately, it just made me uh, not sleep and be a mean wife <laughs> and gain ten pounds, which was probably good. <laughs> yes. And so now, the next step, kind of where we are at right now, is they have a different treatment called Avastin to treat the swelling in the brain. And that uh, usually works better than the steroids, um, but it does have the potential to cause fertility issues. So we just barely finished up a cycle of IVF to freeze some embryos in case <laughs> that is an issue in the future. Um, and just well, I think, uh, you know, next week I go in to get one more scan before I start that
0: treatment. <laughs> when you say go in, are you saying you fly back to Houston or are you going to Huntsman Cancer Institute here?
1: Uh, yeah. So when they mentioned the Avastin treatment down in Houston, it's um, an infusion that's done every three weeks. And so I was like, I'm not ready to move back to Houston and I don't want to be flying down there every three weeks. Can I do this at Huntsman? And they said, sure. So um, I met with the whole new team at Huntsman um, and I'm kind of in the process of like transferring care there. Um, But I'll probably keep ties with MD Anderson as well, just because they know what they're doing. Sure. Huntsman does too, I'm sure. But should I need treatment again in the future? I would, I would probably go back to MD Anderson. So I'm kind of at both, I guess, right now.
0: But. Yeah. Well, it sounds like down in Houston, they did a good job. And, and uh, it's like the darkest moment of your life and, and your mom had to come down and rescue you. Thank goodness for your mom. Wow. So, yeah. so cu- currently today where we are at, you are cancer-free. And they're, mm-hmm. they're doing six month checkups right now for probably the probably the next ten years of your life, at least, I would imagine.
1: yeah, so they do three month checkups for the first two years.. Okay. And then from years two to five, it goes to six months and then it's annual uh, for forever.
0: okay. Gotcha. and how how's Benny doing?
1: He is doing so well. Um, he just turned one in awesome. January, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And he uh, they give they say they give preemies two years to kind of catch up to their (laughs) whatever birth age or gestational age, I guess. He's the little guy, even for (laughs) his normal age. Uh, But both me and my husband are on the smaller side. So that's to be expected. And but he's almost walking. He's there's no signs of like anything wrong. and. I I haven't gone back to work. I've just been, you know, (laughs) trying to stay healthy and be a mom. And he brings so much joy and like fulfillment. And even though he's probably what tires me out the most, I feel (laughs) so glad that he is here and just Cherish him. I I love him so much. <laughs>
0: right, well, it's he brings purpose, right? So there's a I've been reading this book by Viktor Frankl. And maybe you've read it, but it's it's Yes to Life. But you know, who Viktor Frankl is and and man's search for meaning, and and he he was the survivor of the Jewish camp, right? But um, in one of the chapters I read today, the line says, "When we understand the why, it doesn't matter what the how is." Right. So like, how yeah. do we do this? How, 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 like, it doesn't matter because we have the why and the why is the purpose. It's all about purpose. And I, I'm, I'm so happy for you that you're in a place right now where you can connect with him and really just feel your purpose as a mom and be a mom. Now tell me about your husband. Is he working with Google still?
1: Yeah. So he went back to work, I think in like April of yeah. last year it's been a huge blessing that he can work remote (laughs) because of COVID. We're loving it. He just works out from home and is able to, you know, take breaks throughout the day and help me out and kind of have his own schedule, which is, which has been awesome. Um, I hope he stays at Google forever. (laughs) Yeah. Right.
0: Well, after what they did, what, what they've done for you guys, that's pretty amazing. Um, so so is there anything else you want to add to your story or are we to the point where i can ask some questions for you to you now
1: let's have some questions yeah some props would be good
0: Yeah, let's do it so um holy cow when did fear first hit you with this thing like when did it when did you come to grips with the idea that like this this is a lot like this this could really be like a thing that ends my life
1: Not until uh, like my second round of chemo, I was pretty optimistic. I don't know if optimistic is the right word, but well, yeah, I was optimistic. Um, Like I said, whether or not I knew the result, I wasn't optimistic that I would live or beat cancer. You know, I was just optimistic that, you know, we go through things, we all go through things and this is going to turn out for some reason, you know, for the good, whether it's, um, you know, I always tease my husband, he's been through a lot in his life. And I, I always tease him like, this trial is for you. <laughs> you know, like, you're the kind of person that needs really hard trials. <laughs> so this is your fault, you know, if you weren't such a, an awesome guy, like <laughs> if I had just married some, you know, Joe Schmoe I wouldn't have had this diagnosis you know (laughs) um so but yeah I think it was more um I I never really was scared of dying uh myself but I thought it would be really sad for my family and for my husband which again sounds kind of vain
0: (laughs) but um well you sound that's you sound very level-headed to me and you sound like you have a lot of faith. Right? I know I know yeah. you, you've mentioned God a few times throughout the story and I know there's more um there's more that we could definitely stop and talk about him. Um did you feel did you feel close to him? Did you feel connected, if you will?
1: Yes, definitely. Thanks for bringing that up. I feel like my Whole storytelling was just kind of the the facts and the what happened, but yep, yep. a lot of the emotional parts just kind of were left out or breezed over. But I felt very very connected uh, to God, which isn't honestly one of my strong points. <laughs> um, so I think that was another positive thing that came from this experience, and I know a lot of people experience that and say that it's when you're going through hard times that you connect with God and with and with people uh the most. So I felt uh, very grateful for for that and um it was almost relieving right like this situation is totally out of my control like I have no <laughs> little to no control of what happens here you know God is the driver. He's in control. And I i didn't have an option really to <laughs> not trust him. Um, I, think, I think back of other times in my life where I, you know, would be frustrated uh, trying to trust God more in like of a decision making process, right? Like, where do I go to school? Or should I marry this guy? And didn't feel like I was getting the, you know, feedback that I wanted. And and, um, and that it was it was more on me but this one it was kind of like this is not on me i <laughs> you know this is this is on you god you know and not in a, a spiteful way but like you are in control and that was a a a great feeling of you know i'll try my best but <laughs> it's not really anything i can do and, you know
0: and it's it's interesting because throughout your story you kept mentioning peace And you listen Mm -hmm. story and it's like there's not really a whole lot of peace going on here but you're feeling peace and and there is there is something so powerful about what you just said we try so hard i think i think from birth you know we 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 come as fighters right we we come as fighters for we want our free agency we wanted the ability to come and make choices and, and decide for ourselves right when when you read the bible you learn about the war in heaven and and why we decided to come down here and for agency and to be able to choose and you come down here and it's like it's like you watch your little kids and you're going to see this with Benny as he grows he's going to be like i'm starting to learn how to be independent and i like this it's really cool to feel like you have some freedom right yeah
1: and we yeah. fight
0: for that we fight for that so much but then all of a sudden we get to these points in our life where We just don't know enough. We're not smart enough. Mm -hmm. We're not. We don't have the ability to to break down some of these walls and barriers that are in front of us. And some of us try and hold on to that control during those moments, and it and you can see the turmoil it causes in people's spirits. But then you see those, and 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 I and very much get this from you as you're sharing your story. You see those that get to the point where you you already know. this is going to be a hard battle and I I need some help. And I can't, I don't know, I can't do this on my own. I've got to trust and you put it in God's hands and that's what he wants us to do. And immediately it's replaced by peace. And that doesn't mean you're going to have constant peace no matter what. No, exactly. but you feel, you feel peace even through the toughest things, right? The darkest day, yeah. but you had, you had a moment where it almost got so hard it sounded like you you kind of were gonna give up a little bit like you were just kind of hanging on by a thread unfortunately mom showed up but take me to that time in houston when you go in and and you you have the brain surgery you get meningitis you have to go back covid's here and you are by yourself there's no more connection there's no more feeling of energy and just feeling that everything's okay even if i can't see my husband he's right here and so there's that safety net that's always over you because you know people are close and you're connected. You're by yourself. I mean, yeah. you ever see an EP where they're walking around in those like, those <laughs> like, like plastic? Like that's probably what you're so, so take me to the, to that moment. Did you ever get to the point? And I'll start with this question, then I'll just kind of open it up, and I want you just to share. But did you ever get to the point when you were there where you you, you kind of, in a way, looked up and said, why? why God, like, where are you?
1: Yeah, I, um, yeah, I felt defeated, you know, I was like, I have been pummeled, I lost, you know, (laughs) I gave it my best, and I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm done, you know, um, and up to that point, uh, all of my, like, prayers, uh, weren't really asking, uh, for miracles. (laughs) I just left that to everyone else, (laughs) you know, left it to my family and my husband. Like you can, you can pray for a specific outcome if you want. I just am praying for peace and that everything will be okay. But at, at that point I did reach the, the desperation of actually asking you know for something specific like i am really i'm scared and i i feel very desperate and defeated uh you know please help me make it another day or to please help me to get better and or be able to see my husband and my kid again whether that's for a long time or a little time you know and I think the reason was because I now had a kid. <laughs> um, I, my prayers have never really been, you know, and I don't know if this is common or not, but asking for specific things, really. Um, but my mom actually told me that just wait until you have kids, then you will be pleading, you know, you will be begging and pleading for specific things. <laughs> and that that was the case uh, at that time. I didn't want my kid to not have a mom. <laughs> and uh, so I, I was, I was begging.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. And again, purpose, right? Purpose yeah. not just for you, but for your son as well. And, and for your husband. Um, yeah. Did you feel, did you feel him? Did you feel him there with you answering that prayer?
1: Yeah, I did. And I've, um, I felt him through other people the most. Um, I gave a talk uh, on Christmas Sunday, which I was kind of intimidated by. Um, but it was, you know, the topic was how do, how do you feel God's love, or how has the Savior been a part of your life? And as I was reflecting on it and thinking about it, especially this last year and a half. Um, I think one huge way that God shows his love and that people feel of God's love is through other people. Like we are God's hands. And I I felt that through my husband, my family, my ward members, the medical personnel. I think their love is just ultimately God's love. And I definitely, definitely felt it.
0: That's awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. and you it's funny because as you started telling your story you're like yeah there's just so many things along the way that are like meant to be right like oh there was a little the timing was perfect the this happened right when i have or just all those things kind of line up for you and yeah you just trust and then and then you you have that moment where you feel broken you feel defeated were you were in that moment in houston were you saying goodbyes to your husband were you like literally saying to him like i don't know if i'm gonna make it I love you. Goodbye. Like, if this is the last time I talked to you, goodbye. Were you to that point?
1: Uh, I think so. I think so. Like mentally, um, I probably, tr- like I probably tried to downplay it. <laughs> uh, yeah, when I was like talking to him, uh, you know, I would say like I feel like I'm gonna die, you know, but I wouldn't say like this is goodbye, you yeah. know,
0: or yeah you knew you you there was always that chance right like this may be the last time i talked to my husband geez that's tough yeah um (laughs) okay so i have one more question and then i want people to be able to reach out to you if that's okay if you're up, i love it yeah if you're up for that if someone's like struggling or if someone wants to talk to you more about your story because your story is just beautiful um and you see God's hand all throughout your story, as, as you've said as well. Um, last last question I always ask everybody in my podcast is, in your darkest, darkest moment, what's the gift that you were given?
1: I think the gift that I was given was being able to recognize that joy and peace and happiness. Uh, comes from within, comes from God, and not from external things or circumstances or situations. And to try and keep that mindset um, might be harder, (laughs) easier said than done, but that has been a huge gift. Um, When I, you know, I'm a very, like, active person and you know when I'm when I felt sick and was nauseous I'm like oh I want to do is go on a run you know and then when you you have radiation and you're too weak and you have surgery and you can't lift anything over 10 pounds including your baby then your mindset changes to all I want to do is be able to carry my baby and so when you just kind of perspective and uh, realizing that Uh, joy doesn't come from playing soccer (laughs) even though it's really fun uh, it just comes from from within and from relationships with people and with God and I do believe that the things we experience in this life are for that reason to be able to better connect with people and with God so I would love if you would share my contact information. I actually it was um like highlighted a a patient story or a patient experience at MD Anderson. Awesome. And they they published it and just a week ago I got a message uh, through Facebook Messenger from a lady a girl in her 30s who was diagnosed with snuck Oh. And lives in, Me- in Mexico City. Get her a
0: t-shirt. <laughs> Let's get her a t-shirt. To yeah. Into a thing.
1: I know. Yeah. So I, mean, I chatted with her the last two days. And we're in different countries. And who knows if I'm any help at all. I'm but sure just that feeling of being able to connect with someone and uh, help if I can is, is great.
0: You will. And just sharing your story strengthens people that are in that place so so that your perspective is totally changed what's really important that no external things give you joy and happiness all the stuff we see all the things that we kind of start to go after in our lives money titles jobs those things you know they're fine but when that becomes our focus of our life they can never they, they don't provide happiness it's it's who we are the purpose that we have why we're here and understanding you know what we can do to 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 really bless other people and serve other people yeah. right um yeah. i i do have one more question actually <laughs> i know ryan's gonna keep going no but as you, as you were as you were saying that i i had this thought what what is if, if if you could go back and talk to yourself in that room in Houston, when you're in like your darkest moment of like, I don't, I can't do this anymore. This hurts too much. Like I'm in so much pain. I, I could die. If, if you had a chance to go there and be with yourself and maybe somebody else that's in that very same spot right now, feeling the way that you felt, what would you say to them?
1: I would probably I mean knowing the outcome I would say it's temporary it's temporary you know and whatever happens is for the best it's part of the plan and it's to make you a better person make your husband a better person make people more godly and um yeah just Try your hardest, <laughs>
0: do your best, and that that's good enough. That's all that's all you can do. The other day I was reading the scriptures, it reminds me of something. I, I was reading the scriptures and I had this thought. I what's the one thing that Christ taught more than anything else vocally in the scriptures? And it's do not be afraid. That's the thing that he said the most, do not be afraid. And it was followed most oftentimes by have peace. Peace, right? So the message to those people is: hang on, don't be afraid, have peace and trust, right? Just trust. It's okay. Yeah. But rest your mind, rest your heart, and just trust that everything's gonna be okay. You've got a lot of faith, Alyssa. You are, you are quite a light to us, and and you've been through so much as just a young. You're you're 28 now, and holy cow. Um, thank you for sharing your story with with me and with the audience, and. I'm gonna definitely put your information there and give people a chance to reach out to you and and, uh, ask you questions. And you know, let's get those let's get those schnuck t-shirts rocking (laughs) so we can donate some money to you and your family as well. Are are you guys? I I don't want to get personal here, but are you guys okay with everything?
1: Yes. Yeah, we are. Um, That was another blessing. Is we are uh, Google insurance was amazing. Um, My parents are in a good financial spot. They, you know, have the means to fly everyone here and there and get hotel rooms and things like that. So, yeah, we are very, very blessed temporally and spiritually. But thank you.
0: Yeah, but please, audience, I I would encourage you to to reach out to Alyssa and just, you know, let's lift each other up because that's what we do. We show up for each other. So, Alyssa, thank you so much for joining me. and, And what an amazing story. You're an amazing person.
1: Thank you so much for, for having me.
0: You did awesome. Thank you for tuning in to Come Towards Delight, the podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed today's show. I would love to hear your feedback. You can subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcast or any podcast platform you use. If you or someone you know has a delightful story to share that I need to talk to, please email me at cometowardsdelight.com at gmail.com.